Hello, hello. Welcome to the Eddie Conversation Podcast. My name is Eddie V. Hill, and I am your host. I am a script supervisor living in Los Angeles, California. Joining me today is Carissa McQueen, also a script supervisor. So we're Also gonna, living in Los Angeles. Also living in Los Angeles. So we shall be talking all about continuity and more today. Strap <laughs> in, everybody. It's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> wild ride. Okay, so I, I guess I'll preface maybe why we know each other. I, aside from seeing you on the social medias as of late, being very active in the Facebook groups <laughs> and such, which I commend and is very cool to see, um, I, I think I was a part of like some early conversations you were having with people before you jumped in or what, what, what was the context yeah. again on that? I forget. How, how do I know you? I had done one kind of two um, films as a script supervisor, just thrown in having no idea what I was doing. And it was like the beginning of this year. And I was like, wait, this is a really cool job. And I seem to be pretty good at it, and I like it, and I want to know more. Um, and I was painting a mutual friend's butt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we were doing like a, a music video art project, and I'm an artist and a, a painter as well, and I've okay. done body art for many, many years. Um, so we were doing some body art and just chatting as you do when you sit and paint or create art with somebody for an hour or two. Um, and it got to be kind of a, what have you been up to? And I was like, I just finished this film. I was a script supervisor again. It's really interesting. I want to know more. And she said, well, my friend Eddie is a really great script supervisor. He's really cool. I will introduce you. And like, the next week, um, I think you text or she text introduced us and I asked for a 15 minute informational interview and we scheduled it. And like an hour and a half later, I was like, this is the best. I'm going to be a script supervisor. <laughs> and you introduced me to those social media platforms that I'm so active on now mm -hmm. and to the wider community. And um, after that, I just kind of really dug in and started learning and working. Yeah, so how did you, um, well, first of all, I don't know, do we want to shout out to, do you want to shout we her do. out? We do, yeah, Risa. <laughs> Risa Ishiyama, a uh, <laughs> friend of the show. Um, yeah, I didn't know that you were the artist that... Uh, I did the booty. That, that was, there was two different projects that come to mind. There was a Galaxy one That's and me. the Apple bottom one. I didn't do the Apple bottom, I did the Galaxy Okay. Which was really fun, and I was really <laughs> proud of it. I had never really done even face painting before, and um, I had, again, reached out to some body artist friends um, and just asked, like, how do you go about painting, you know, something dark? Because if I was doing this with acrylics or watercolor, I know the technique. It's really different when you do it on skin, mm -hmm. and you don't really get to have do-overs. You have to come in with a lot of confidence, because otherwise the colors get all muddy. Um, it was just like a really fun project to get to do with Risa. It seems, yeah, it's a very, uh, it's a very Risa project for sure. <laughs> um, all right. I do want to, how did you, how did you get your, those first couple of gigs, um, pre, yeah. Yeah, like pre how you, anything. Yeah. How did you get thrown into that? What is, yeah, let's, let's 
Yes. Yeah. What? What is that? Um, you know, in true Hollywood fashion, it's about who you know. And I had avoided industry work for as long as I knew. Like, I took a writing for film class in college, and I was an acting major in college for like one quarter that derailed very quickly. Um, mm -hmm. I really didn't want to be an actress, so I don't know why I was an acting major. But uh, that was kind of my brush with um, film and theater arts. And then... Why, why were you an acting major if you didn't... I took, you know, theater five intro to acting for one of my arts electives. And the TA said that I was very good and that I should audition for the BFA. And that seemed like a great idea. Um, I had already been a poli-sci major and a um, French major. I think acting was my third major. And then it's like poli-sci, global studies, French, acting, English. And then I tried to add a biology double major, but there were budget cuts. So I have half of a bio major done. Oh Majored in English, finally, um, <laughs> which is great. And I think it's a great degree. And don't let anyone tell you it's not. Um, yeah, we can get to that. Can get to that. <laughs> I know it's on the list. Yeah, circling back around to um, how did I get here? Um, one of my dear friends from uh, high school, who I live with now, this is her beautiful piano that we get to oh, yes, yes. hang out with today. Uh, she is an incredibly talented writer and filmmaker and decided she was done with doing shorts and done with doing commercial work and she was just going to produce and shoot a narrative feature. And direct? And, she, and direct. And she did. And you can watch it on Lifetime. And this holiday season, it's called Christmas Harmony. Shut up. Um, very cool. And she... Um, you know, we were just really close friends and working through all this, and she kind of just asked me to go along to help. And then she realized that if I was going to be paid, I needed a job. And she said, you can, you'll be credited as script supervisor. So I got on Google, and I was like, what is a script supervisor? And found two blogs, and I read everything on those blogs, uh, and then went to shoot a movie for a month. It was my first set, my first movie. I was, you know, standing in the middle of hallways with people yelling points at me and just not knowing what to do. Mm -hmm. um, and it was very much, uh, for a lot of us, kind of a learn-as-you-go. And we got to work with a really cozy, tight crew, um, most of whom I still know and am friends with and are doing great things. And that was in 2018. Mm -hmm. So after I shot that movie, I was like, great. Bye, and I went to work in offices, and I didn't work in film um, for, you know, until very recently. So that was your first on-set experience in general as um, well, or had you... I, you mentioned the points thing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was... I would say it's my first on-set experience aside from, like, you know, I'm a henna artist also, and, at, you know, a few years ago I was on a wedding show, you know, I just mm -hmm. kind of sat there and the host talked to me and I did some art and off they went. Um, I was I uh, was momentarily on the first season of America's Got Talent as an Irish dancer. Okay, okay, all right. Yeah, I, was, uh, I wasn't really on the show so much as I was in the commercials. Gotcha. I've, I've, yeah. I've, I've, yeah, that's <laughs> not the first time I've heard right. that scenario. Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a million people. Um, that was with my... Um, my Irish dance school and that was really fun 
but that would be the only, those are really the only other times that I was even set adjacent. And those are, those are almost more talent related. Yeah. Not crew related. Not crew experience. at all. Okay. Yeah, I would never crewed. I don't even think I, you know, with, with Nenea, um, who is writer, director, best friend, roommate, um, she's been making <laughs> short films and um, all these incredible projects for years and years. And I know I wasn't really involved because I was actively avoiding film. I just mm. kind of didn't want to be sucked into it. It was all the Hollywood stuff and like something about growing up in Southern California and working in film with like a English degree felt very cliche to me, even though so many of the people that I know and love are really talented, incredible creators whose work I love. I just didn't see where I fit into that. Um, Cause I'm a book nerd. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had spent my years, you know, especially the last seven or eight years, trying to go into publishing. Um, I lived in London for two years. Okay. I have a master's in children's literature. Okay. Mm -hmm. And my goal with that was to go into publishing, live in London forever, meet a nice British guy, get married. It was going to be great. And so just to clarify, <laughs> publishing, you're not, you're, not the, you're not the writer of the book. You just not wanna, the writer. You'd be the publisher... Yeah, I wanted to, um, my career trajectory after grad school, which was cut off very quickly because of political purposes, the uh, student visa that I was on only lasted so long, and the new visa category I could transfer into, which was a post-study work visa, was canceled completely. So I knew people who had just gotten these post-study work visas, which are supposed to be for three years and are designed to help, you know, educated individuals start their careers you know why allow international students come over only to kick them out like bring them in make them part of your economy um, and it was there was a big education scandal with universities like fake universities giving fake visas to students mm. um, who would come over and overstay and um, all of this kind of ties into xenophobia and nationalism and ultimately was the precursor to Brexit, hmm. which happened a couple years later. Um, and I kind of got caught up in that. So I had my goals and I was interning at, uh, at Random House Children's and then I was interning in the publicity department of Penguin mm -hmm. and I was so excited and there was a job that I was applying to and I watched that door across from the hallway, watch every intern go interview for that job, except for me, because of my visa status. Mm. And that was really hard to deal with. I went from potentially having a three-year visa to having a three-month visa. Yeah, a little, yeah. little change of plans there. A little, little change of plans. I like packed up my bags and got on my flight and like cried at the check-in counter and cried most of the way home and figured, had to figure out what to do in California with no connections to publishing and barely any publishing industry in Southern California. There's a lot more now. Um, LA has some really, really cool independent presses. Um, but I didn't, I still haven't found my place in publishing. I worked in an office at a theater arts mm -hmm. uh, nonprofit, which was very, very cool. Um, and then I worked in with my family business 
Um, and then I worked at a real estate trade organization. Okay, um, okay. A lot, of, a lot of feeling things out and just taking it, what comes. Kind taking of what comes because my resume mm -hmm. is just so all over the place because I've had so many different interests. Um, and without that, like I have a, you know, I have a master's, but nothing to, no momentum from it. So my expertise never reflected in mm -hmm. what I did career-wise. Um, and that's really hard in publishing because a lot of times you get people who, you know, were the editors of their school literary journals and then interned for five or six places during college. And I only had like one magazine internship. Um, and this was still my like big passion, you know, after living in California for six years and not being happy and not finding something that fulfilled me. Um, I thought, you know what, screw it. I'm going to start my own publishing company. Mm -hmm. And I applied to the Los Angeles Review of Books Publishing Workshop which I don't even know how I found. I think I was like low-key internet stalking something. It was like click through, click through, click through. Sure, sure. Something yeah, about yeah, yeah. Netflix, something about book adaptations was what, was what oh, I was okay. reading about. And then I found this specific agency in New York that sources all of the YA books to adapt for Netflix. And one of their junior assistants had done the LARB publishing workshop. I'm like, what? There's a publishing workshop in Los Angeles? I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I did in 2020 because, wow, I'm really spiraling around here. Oh, it's great. It's great. Okay, yes. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're, we're getting there. We, we are getting there. I swear there's a trajectory to this story. We got, we got the time. All yeah. good. Um, in... So 2020 happened, and I was really sad and miserable. So you do you dove into this avenue pre-COVID, I'm assuming. Pre-COVID. Okay. It was like December 2019, and I was having drinks with Nanea because we... That's what you do. That's what we do, and we were we made a pact. Actually, a couple years ago, we made a pact about you know following our dreams, and if not, we would be attorneys, and it was kind of... Right? Sure, sure. <laughs> it was one of those things where it's, great. it's just, you know, make it till you make it. Not fake it till you make it, but make it till you make it. Sure. Uh, and she encouraged me to just, you know, buy the domain. Buy the domain name of what would be my future printing house, publishing house. So I did right there at the bar. Um, and then a couple months later... I was really miserable at my office job, and I worked with really incredible, um, a really incredible supervisor in their diversity and inclusion initiative. Um, but my personal connection with the real estate industry isn't very strong. Um, I see a lot of people just really be purely money motivated in it, and yeah. there are a lot of people who aren't, and. Do you see this as part of their mission to help people through these big financial decisions and find their home? And for me, I like that is such a small percentage of the people in the industry. I really struggled with just kind of the day in, day out administrative work. Yeah, in that it, culture. In the culture and mm -hmm. in an organization whose mission that I didn't fully support. Um, and I think I was also misplaced in it because I was. My technical title was administrative assistant, and I'm terrible with rote data 
administrative work. I love coming in and solving problems and making systems and kind of sweeping through a space and leaving it better than I found it. But to do only admin stuff for mm -hmm. a year and a half at this point, it was really soul crushing. And my supervisor, Sarah, um, like once I was crying every week at work, she yeah. was like, you know this, like, we're really lucky to have you, but maybe it's not the right place for you. And she was so supportive in helping me, you know, seek out more educational opportunities and do these, you know, travel events with her. Um, and then there was another opportunity to do, to work on a movie. And I was like, I'm going to ask for a sabbatical because I hate the idea of quitting. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to quit a job because that felt like failure. Okay. Right? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> That's what it felt like to me. It was. I think, I think more of getting fired feels like failure. but Yeah, and I kind of thought I was about to get fired. <laughs> um, and I put in my two weeks notice because they wouldn't approve my sabbatical, mm -hmm. which was for weird technical reasons. Um, yeah, I don't think quitting is failure. It, well, it, it's always felt like failure to me, and sure, this is sure. part of my emotional journey of the last 18 months, that like quitting things that aren't right for you is not quitting. It's moving on and letting go and something yeah, that's no, I'm really glad positive. You had that. I'm glad you had that supportive uh, person in the office that helped yeah. send the message of, you know, it is okay to it's, not work here. Yeah. You are allowed to leave if you're not happy. Let's let's try to find a solution to this because mm -hmm. this is obviously not a good time. Yeah, and it was very liberating and very supportive, and I still talk with her, which is really cool. Um, and so I put in my two weeks' notice. So what was the gig? Was, what, what was the? It was going to be a holiday feature as a script supervisor. As a script supervisor uh, for Nanea. Um, that was going to go up mm -hmm. March, our first day of shooting would have been March 21st of 2020. <laughs> so like three days oh, after no. I put in my notice to quit the office job, the film was canceled. And like a week after that, everyone was sent like, I think I coughed once in the office and uh, I was sent home. I only brought some of my stuff. I left my plant. My plant didn't make it. Um, and I never went back. So I actually technically s still had like 10 days of work to do. I didn't finish any of my transitionary paperwork. It was like I was ready to leave and leave well. Um, and then everything went topsy-turvy. And I ended up unemployed for really 14 months. Yeah. And then the publishing workshop came up and I did that and it was great. Uh, and then I interned at a literary agency, and I did that, and that was great. Mm. And with the publishing industry, you have to kind of bookend your internships. If you don't build that momentum, nothing happens. And I wasn't able to get another internship after. How long did those inter internships go for? I uh, I did that for three months, and that's okay. three months of unpaid, yeah, full, yeah. almost full-time work. It was like... 30 hours a week I was and working. And you're expected to string multiple together? Yes, this is a huge problem in publishing. <laughs> um, because it really only lives, leaves space for independently wealthy or very well supported individuals who tend to be upper middle class white folks, um, which I am. And 
that's you know that's me and it also meant that with the big reckoning in, in publishing over the last year, um, only 1% of editors, for example, are black. And that is really crappy. Mm -hmm. um, and it means a lot of stories are being gatekept, you know, systemically, whether it's intentional on yeah, individual and, editors. Yeah, it, whether it's knowingly happening or, yeah. or but, not on a the, Whatever it is, the result is that there's a lot of gatekeeping, keeping um, marginalized voices out of our publishing landscape. Mm -hmm. So authors and um, you know, behind, behind the scenes, people, editors, yeah. um, publicists, everyone. Um, so there's a big movement to Reverse that. Yeah, it sounds very similar to the filmmaking situation. Very, very similar. It's like you, you need the voices up top to help support new voices down below, mm -hmm. blah, blah. Yeah. And I've been blessed to see a lot of my friends from my publishing workshop, a lot of whom are uh, queer or people of color, land amazing jobs in publishing. And I know two years ago, they would have been passed over just mm. because they didn't have the right experience on their resumes. Yeah, um, It is very similar to film where the people who do the most hardest work all day, every day and unpaid hours and, you know, kind of abusive power structures are also getting paid, you know, 35 to $40,000 a year to live in New York city. That's really hard. A lot of unpaid labor, um, and again, the people like <laughs> you can afford to pay someone that little if they have a trust fund. Mm -hmm. um, so right, that's right. I'm excited to see like the kinds of books that are gonna come out in uh, in the next couple years because there there have been some big changes and publishing is still going through a reckoning mm -hmm. and will for several years until you know the the change is complete. made permanent and complete. And yeah, and again, it's, it's ever, ever evolving, I'm sure. Ever evolving. Yeah. And, and similar to um, what's going on in film with you know, making more opportunities available for people who traditionally haven't had them. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've lost the thread. So the thread <laughs> is coming back to you put your two weeks in. The, yes. the, the one movie got, got canceled. Uh-huh. And then you're, you're kind of left floating for, for over a year. For over a year. Um, and when did you... So at what point did you come out and be like... Because you, you, you mentioned that you, you were actively like running away from film life. Yeah. But suddenly you dive in. Dive in, yeah. How did, how, when, did, when did this trigger? How did that... Uh. People kind of forced me into it. <laughs> so <laughs> from the first movie that I did, our our number one, um, her partner was writing and pro or producing and acting in a movie. You know, I think with so many creatives, we all got to this point where, like, we just have to do something and figure out how to make it work. So it's a one location, nine-day, seven-day feature. Yeah. We flew through it, and the day before they started principal, they um, I got a text from her, and she was like, "Can you come do continuity?" 
And again, this is 14 months of not doing anything, thinking that I had finally found my foot into publishing mm -hmm. and um, just not having that pan out. And then like really two solid months of just being quite miserable and being quite sad. Like I'd done all of my personal projects. I felt that I had a lot of personal growth. I learned a lot about myself and my brain mm -hmm. and what I want and how I do things. I'm very slight cyclical. I like kind of these six week chunks of projects in every aspect of my life. Um, and being unemployed for a year kind of let me pay attention to these things that I'd never had the freedom to do. Mm -hmm. So I do feel very grateful for that strange ass opportunity. That was also very frustrating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was all kind of forced upon. Yeah. It's like surprise, do nothing. Probably sit with your thoughts yeah. indefinitely yeah. and there's no end in sight and good luck with. Yeah. Don't disassociate too much. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, and so you, Huh? I'm, I'm, I'm almost there. Um, yeah, so she, she texted me. They sent me the script. It was super different than what I expected. And I jumped on that production. And the director was also acting. Um, okay. So there was a lot of trust put in me immediately to like know if we got the shot. I'm like, this is only my second anything. Okay. You're like, yes, that was great. Yeah. Good work, everybody. Yeah, looking not just at um, <laughs> not just at continuity, but Your also needing to know what the director wanted in performance, and that mm -hmm. I learned mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. much, and it was really hard, but it was really cool, and that's actually kind of become one of my specialties is working with directors who are on screen. Okay. Um, yeah, and then. So that's what I did, and the director told me that I had a good onset energy and that I was very good at my job, and she was shocked that it was only my second film. Mm -hmm. um, and no shorts. Like, I know a lot of script supervisors do a lot of student shorts. Yeah, you just you just take you just what you can get. Take what you can get. Yeah. I had not. I I took two features as my first. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's a, um, it's a great. It's a great, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, ideally, that's a great <laughs> learning ground because you're just, you're stuck in the thing. So you, it's not like you do two days and you have to recoup and figure it out. Like, it's like, I'm in it. I got to solve this while I'm in it. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise. It, I mean, it, it, it is work. jumping into the deep end, but it is very much a comprehensive experience, especially being on such tiny productions where, mm -hmm. you know, there isn't a production designer. So then I'm looking at all of these production design things too. And then there's only, you know, one grip and one electric. Yep, been there. Been and there. I'm like, there are 14 stingers in this shot. Are we, we're okay with this? We like the C-stand, the hero C-stand directly behind his head. Mm -hmm. um, For those that don't know, stinger is. It's a really big extension it's cable. It's just an extension cord. Yeah. But um, they're black and massive and distracting, no, and I hate them. I love them. Thank you. Thank you, everybody who delivers the stinger to me so I can work with my laptop. Yes. I was going to ask, you mentioned um, that the script was a lot different than what, than what you were expecting. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that? Uh, a little bit, because sure. uh, it's still in, in post. Um, I don't know why I thought it would be like a lighthearted rom-com. I just, okay. because of who texted me, um, and she's all sweetness and light, 
So it was more tonal than very tonal structure. Yeah, I would describe it as a psychological or erotic thriller, and there was like multiple murders and like Hmm. drug use and sounds very indie. Very indie. There's a really fun um, sex scene that we shot on like day two. That again, my first my first sex scene, and it was pretty complicated and. you know, being a script supervisor, you are one of the few people on a closed set that is in the room or and you're on, forced to watch. Yeah. Forced to watch, and my job was like making sure the pasties aren't visible. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, for a couple hours, I was really just staring at nipples, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I, you know, once you once you get started, it's just professional. It's just the no, job. For sure. Uh, but going into it, I was really nervous, like really, really nervous. Mm-hmm. And it became so clinical so quickly. Yeah, because I mean, you want to help establish that tone for the room anyway. Like you don't, like you have to, for the comfort of the actors, yeah. you just have to play it. Like I'm, I'm just here doing my job, professional, yeah. because otherwise everything crumbles and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and I've okay. been on been on some shoots following that where I probably should have stepped up and said something because they weren't that level of professionalism. Um, yeah. And being, you know, one of only one or two women on a set that's shooting some pretty intense intimacy scenes. Um, yeah. That's when I kind of feel bad when, for being a dude sometimes. Mm-hmm. Where I, if on the close set situations, I, I want to offer the comfort, but I'm just like a, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a guy still, yeah. and I, you're not really gonna get that from me. I, I feel like I'm pretty good. I, I feel like I'm good at offering the calm and the trust, but uh, it's not the same. It's, it's not the same. It's not the same. <laughs> you, you've got the baggage of the male gaze. You can't, you can't help that. But again, being. Like you said, being professional and like that, that does set the tone. Excuse me. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And so, I mean, I know I would appreciate it. It's not like, and, and you know, you've been on sets where you're around people and it's like, there's nothing that they're doing wrong, except there's something in their mannerisms that feels a little dis comforting are you talking still about closed sets closed sets or or like open sets even just sure sure maybe maybe you don't feel that no i know i'm sure i do feel i feel especially on closed sets yeah especially everything is amplified yeah it's like all right everybody closed set if you don't need to be here and then i'm looking at village i'm like there's more people here now at village than there were when we're normally shooting yeah (laughs) why are the producers all here why is the second ad here all of a sudden like it's like wait hope somebody gonna stand up for this yeah it's like just someone like turn off the monitor and then i notice like the gaffer gets a little bit too involved on checking lighting i'm like you're you're never this It's, it's a whole yeah yeah i've yeah i've seen i've seen you know sound um boom ops like really get close i'm like you can actually do this job from like 40 feet away like you guys are amazing why are you like three feet away like give people space to work i don't know i don't understand how people can 
really bear so many raw emotions and raw physicality when there is just a room of, you know, bare minimum five people staring at you. Mm -hmm. I am endlessly impressed at the professionalism of actors. And um, I do this weird thing where, like, I watch a professional sports team. I'm like, they're really good at sport. Or I watch a professional actor. I'm like, they're really good at acting. How? Like, it's their job. They've dedicated yeah. time to developing these crafts. And it's it's incredible how good these people really are. Um, like, in really hard situations. And I actually haven't really seen many of any of the movies I've worked on. Right, um, right. Like, only the second one um, is now finished, and I was out of town for the premiere. So I'm just going off of, like, what I saw on set. Um, yeah. And I don't know how it edits together or how yeah, it all happens, but it, it's so... It's really, really satisfying to see somebody whip something out and the whole room be like, that was the shot. Print that one. Well, you have, like, you, the PA, you, like, clapping in the corner. <laughs> Well, you just described it as whipping something out. Oh, gosh. After talking to close set. So I'm like, I don't know if people are clapping. <laughs> yeah, that would be right, some kind of Freudian wordplay over there. <laughs> but yes. No, it's great to, yeah, actors are great. Yeah. Um, and end of my How We Got Their Story was I did that movie, and then I well, talked with Risa, and then I talked with you. Okay, so you did that movie, <laughs> talked with Reese, you talked to me. Mm -hmm. So after doing the seven days or eight days or whatever on yeah. that, you were like, oh my gosh, this feels good and I want to do it more mm -hmm. and I'm going to embrace the film life now? Or how, what was, what was, was that like? It was kind of, yeah, it was a little bit revelatory because I, you know, the in my heart of hearts, story is the most important human thing to humans. It's it's People mm -hmm. are always like, we became humans when we started using tools. I'm like, that is not true. We are storytellers. We became humans when we started telling stories. Mm, um, semantic. I'm just kidding. No, no. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, I, there are um, indigenous cultures, and I, I wish that I had looked this up because I knew I was going to talk about this, and I can't remember, and I'm really sorry for not remembering, whether it's this Maori or the indigenous Australian um, people whose word, or maybe indigenous Americans, but their word for their own people is storyteller. Mm. And I'm like, that really is awesome. Because it's just really true. Um, we tell stories to each other all day long. You call your mom and you know she tells you a story and she asks you for a story. And little kids from you know the, the minute before they can even understand, we read books to them and we tell stories. And there are stories that have outlived history, that all we know is, you know, this epic poem that's 3,500 years old, and we don't know much else about it. Um, and the oral histories. And so I'm just really passionate about story. Sure. Story which, which solves plays, everything. Which plays into the publishing aspect, too. Yeah. And that is a big reason of why I wanted to go into publishing and specifically children's or young adult literature because mm -hmm. the stories we hear as children are, are most formative. Um, and there's so much opportunity just for wonderful, beautiful things to happen. Um, and, mm -hmm. right, film, <laughs> film crews are really, at the end of the day, all storytellers. 
And a hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. No, I, 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 it's kind of been on my mind too, as of late thinking about as a kid, the things that affect you or the things that you remember from just like basic stuff, like the books that you've read or the, the images that you saw in the books or. Yeah. So it is, it is a much more powerful tool. It's a very powerful tool. But yeah. So and yeah, being a part of helping decide the stories that are being put in front of children that's that's a very interesting responsibility right and, you know. and i'm i'm not doing that right now but i might i would love to children also love watching movies yeah i would love to work with uh you know stories for younger audiences and adaptation and all of that but um do you have like do you have like core texts that kind of make you who you are core texts yeah like like in um inside out like you have like the marbles of your core memories but like only books oh texts Texts. um <laughs> i don't feel like i off the top of my head that, this isn't that, something you've pondered for hours that would, take, that would take me some time to think about for sure i know i recently reread holes <laughs> Yeah, you know, I've never read Holes, but I know everyone is like, this is one of the best um, adaptations ever. Interestingly, directly after college, I kind of wanted to work for Walden Media. Mm-hmm. When I say I keep running away from film, it's except that Walden Media was my dream company because I wanted to specifically work with adapting young adult novels into mm-hmm. film media. And that's what they did. Gotcha. And they did it so well. Because they did holes. Oh, yeah. No, I was... Because I I remember back in the grade school um, that I think I read that book like three times. Mm -hmm. Or it was more like I had read it once because it was assigned or I don't know. And then I had a class where the teacher read it to us. Like we spent like Fridays reading a chapter of the book and it was always... Everybody was super into it. Like really looking forward to holes. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so good. And then I probably read it again somehow, and then of course the movie. So it'd been it's been plenty of time since then. I don't know if there's any. I don't know if that movie, if that book, like makes me if as a part like a core text. But it's, it's. it's if it, it resonates and is still resonating with you, it probably is. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't feel like. Uh, uh, yeah, I haven't thought about that. <laughs> I'll I'll circle back with you next week, yeah, see if yeah. you've sorted it out, because I I know a few of mine. Yes. Um, his dark His Dark Materials is a major one for me, um, and the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm. Um, specifically, even though I get so sad once I get to, like there, when you read Narnia in Narnia chronology, there's a turning point where it's like the it it just starts getting sad because Narnia is kind of on its last legs and mm-hmm. and industry has come in and politics have come into play and we're losing the magic of the wildness of Narnia. Um, and as like a ecological from an ecological criticism viewpoint, it's really it's a really interesting read. I think people come to Narnia only looking at it from a Christian allegory. Um, but it really is a tale of industrialization and war as much as it is of anything else. And once we get to the last battle, um, 
there's uh, people who worship one god and then other people who you know, do things in the name of Aslan. And there is just one thing, this one line that is like a good deed done in Tash's name is really a deed for me. And a cruel deed done in my name is really a deed for Tash, who is a, a god of destruction and really destruction. And then Aslan is like the god of renewal. Um, and racial problematicism aside, um, be because those are like Arabic modeled characters, mm -hmm. so there's some co problematic coding in there. Um, but the idea that if you do something good, note for whatever reason, and whether or not you believe in God, um, like it is a good thing. And if you do something bad in the name of God, it is always a bad thing. And as a very young child, that made a lot of sense because I didn't understand why there could be people who presented themselves as upright moral religious people who also seemed very cruel to me. And that simple line in The Last Battle really helped me understand that it isn't how you, it, like it isn't what you say you're doing, it really just is what you're doing. Correct. And that's a, I mean, it's a long, big circle. I'm like, why did I need a fantasy novel to say, to get to there? But um, I'm not religious. I'm pretty agnostic. I feel that there is power in the universe and who knows what it is. And sometimes the universe tells me things and I go with it and sometimes I don't. And then I, you know, kind of am sad that I didn't listen yeah, a little better. Sure. But that's, that's one and that's one of the reasons why. Um, and then His Dark Materials is kind of the antithetical work to Narnia. It is like an anti-Christian allegory mm -hmm. in many ways. Um, but one of the big moments in that book is uh, one character just says, tell them stories. And it, it's if you haven't read the Amber Spyglass, if I go any further, there will be major major spoilers. Sure, um, sure, leave, leave. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I was thinking about books that I've read. Like, I've done a lot more reading as of late. Mm -hmm. um, I know I recently read for the first time, like, uh, um, not The Pilgrimage, but uh, the... the um, Author? The author, pa pa Paolo Coelho. Yeah, he wrote... Um, so The Alchemist. The Alchemist, there, there we go. go. Yeah. Yes, I read <laughs> The Alchemist for the first time. That was very nice. It's a very divisive book. A lot of people think Coelho is... Is um, it really? Yeah. Um, they feel that he's a little Every, bit... Everything is divisive. Right. Yes. Uh -huh. um, it's like this idea that his... It's like books that are supposed to feel philosophical but are really shallow. I'm like... I. I think you bring a lot of yourself to his works. So even though the stories can be simple. Um, mm -hmm. It's a very and, simple story. Yeah, and but I think it Alchemist in particular does reflect this worldview of you kind of create your own reality, right? It's kind been of. a really no, long time I mean, since it I read It's it. kind of like what you're saying about the universe, where sometimes the universe tells you things and whether you listen and you follow it and you feel good, or sometimes you don't listen, 
the whole the whole lesson of the alchemist is you have your personal legend and it's kind of like your your meaning of life and this this kid has his dream and the whole thing is if you're looking out for these these signs from the universe and you kind of like oh this is there's an opportunity here I'm, I don't know where it's going to lead I'm just going to jump on it because this is something that's being shown to me right now and mm-hmm. eventually eventually you'll huh. find your way to your this seems really relevant to my current living exactly. situation and so everything. that's the whole thing is being having your eyes open mm-hmm. being aware of the signs that are coming and sometimes you get stuck in yourself and you're not looking or or you miss things or yeah. I mean, I, I could have jumped into film work at any time over the last six years. I know so many people who've had opportunities and have asked for help, and I've always said no. And then I said yes, and now I'm talking with you. <laughs> and I am making a living, and this is my career as a script supervisor, and I'm so fulfilled. And I've never had a job where I'm like, this is my career. This isn't going to be something that I just kind of do until the next thing. I see my growth path. I have incredible mentors in the community. Mm. It's uh, for being a, you know, department of one, and it can be so isolating. Um, I think the only reason why I've now, I've just wrapped my eighth feature. Yes, congrats. I was going to bring up the number. It's very impressive. It is very impressive, and I could not do it without, um, like, the Los Angeles Script Supervisors Network and... um, the international script supervisors groups and being able to talk to like literally industry legends who've been in the business for 30, 40 years and like one piece of, of advice from them like flips my world. I'm like, what? We can color code our day breakdown. That is amazing. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> and that was like the thing on my last feature that I did was when I did my breakdown, I gave each story day a different color and then when I like I can quickly glance at my notes and be like oh yeah this is a purple day she's in the wrong she's in the wrong wardrobe really there was a change okay I will change that it's no longer a purple purple day it's now a yellow day (laughs) yeah so before we get too into that yeah um eight so when you say eight features that's Mm -hmm. that's including the the first one Mm -hmm. and the first other one second one yeah so it's it's so it's six this year seven this year sorry so seven this year that's effectively one a month oh well that's we're in month nine yeah i don't do math so there's nine (laughs) months seven features yeah so that's i was i was i think you posted about that recently in one of the groups i forgot what you're asking about Oh, I think we're talking about negotiating. You're talking about negotiating. Yeah. And you were like, you're in this limbo phase where you have this experience built up, but at the same time, you, you're aware that time-wise, it's been less than a year of actually doing the job. Yes. But then I was like, oh my gosh, you've done this many features. I feel, I'm like, I think it's more features than I've done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I've done so many shorts and stuff. I'm like, features, yeah. how does she get features? How, how no. did I get here? I I skipped a lot of steps at the beginning. <laughs> no, so it's very cool. Um, yeah, but it, it does put me in that weird space of, you know, my IMDb page, which whether or not people should use that as a main hiring tool, they do. 
um, I only have like three projects on there because, yeah. you know, the productions just haven't put them up yet or there's still, they're still in post. Like, and that's frustrating for me because mm. I know that producers are looking at it and they look at, um, at my resume how and see know, that how it's full. How do you know looking at it? I just know in my heart. I, Sorry. I, <laughs> I, I never, I... I'm never told if they're looking at mine or not. I don't know who looks at my IMDb. Right. <laughs> I know mine is littered with all sorts of stuff. Like you know, I I do know that some one one producer did tell me that she looked at it, mm -hmm. um, and I did. I booked the job. They liked my resume. They they wanted they, clarification. They wanted clarification. They um, I was a referral from somebody in LASSN, um, which kind of gave me like a little bonus points of reputability sure. Always. and then when she did say when she looked at my IMDB she was a little confused because it didn't completely match what I was presenting yeah, on yeah, my yeah. resume but then we had our you know and our like, interview meeting and yeah, it went and you're great. Like, well a lot of that's really recent I don't know what the plan is blah blah blah. Yeah. I have more experience yeah. and it's displayed on the IMDB blah blah blah. Yeah but it kind of makes me feel a little bit like a liar. Like, but you're not. I'm not a liar. There's nothing on my resume that isn't completely accurate. Sure. So but you're all good. if it's not like publicly verifiable, so of course I, you know, references available to these producers and all of that. But sure. Yeah, it is weird going into these negotiating moments where I have experience that's comparable to some people who've been working towards this for three or four years, um, but really I'm, I'm. A baby, like I'm just now reaching gestation. Yeah, <laughs> just because <laughs> I know I was thinking. I guess my my little thought on the IMDb thing was that it it only happened to me once. I think I normally don't have to interview for gigs. Mm -hmm. It's only the referral thing, and they're like, "All right, cool, can you come in?" Right, <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, sure, let's do it." But I did interview for one in particular, and I remember. The chat was going great. I thought I did very well. But one of the producers that I didn't know was asking me questions about, like, so prior to this other thing, what have you done? And I was like, oh, she had the wrong IMDb page up. Because oh. I, I got that fixed. Yeah. Um, because my, my, my full name is Eddie V. Hill V. Yeah. I've got the V at the end. Um different productions had like typed me in wrong so i had like a a, a, a half like there was like a pseudo, oh there were like two versions of there you there was two versions there was one that was the real one and one that were people messed up and put credits on the wrong ones yeah. so they're like oh we see you have like three credits here like why are you even here interviewing for this and it's like <laughs> oh no that's the wrong one so they clicked over and like, okay, this makes more sense. There, yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, they had her just staring at my MD. <laughs> that was that was a rough one, but yeah. Okay, um, I want to talk about the job. Yes. And uh, normally I open up with asking this question, but since we're now just getting to it, <laughs> um, how do you? When people ask you what you do as a script supervisor, mm -hmm. what's your answer? 
Uh, I had a really good, concise version of this, and I've kind of abandoned that. Um, Do you remember what it was? I am the fulcrum between... Fulcrum. Right. <laughs> the fulcrum between uh, what happens on set and what happens in post-production. I... Um, is that it? Is that the... No. Okay, it continues. Yeah. Uh, I'm responsible for story continuity within scenes, as well as the overarching um, story arc of the film, as well as making sure the editor knows what the director was thinking. That's a decent... That's a decent. It's hard, because there are so many that's, little parts of the job. and It takes a five to ten minute discussion to really explain what you're... Yeah, yeah and so, a lot of people... If they're outside of film, they have no idea what a script supervisor does. I, like, I know if I had, like, learned about this job 10 years ago, I would have been, you know, 10 years further along in my career. It's exactly what I want to do. Hmm. I get to wear kind of whatever I want at work. I get to be a really integral part of the filmmaking process while also not being kind of in charge of anything. Mm -hmm. um, That's great. I, yeah, I love that. Um, I'm a safety net. I'm a team player. Um, I get to work with a lot of different, really cool people. Every day is different. Um, I have ADHD, so keeping challenges new and fresh is really important for me to stay engaged in my work. Uh, when I was saying, like, my brain is very cyclical, that's part of it. So things that are urgent, things that are challenging, things that are novel, and things that are, resonate with my personal interests are all really good for me getting my stuff done. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, films can be hurry up and wait, but it's always it kind of always has to happen now. It's a very immediate situation. And... A great script is a great story and endlessly interesting. And there's so many different logic problems. I love the logic puzzle side of jobs. And then this is how I end up talking like to 20 minutes to strangers when they ask me what I do. Because mm -hmm. I get really excited about what I do and really deep dive on like... Yeah. Like it isn't just making sure the muffin is rotated correctly in every take to match the master. Like that's the smallest part of what a script supervisor does, the smallest, smallest part. And that's also the part that most people who I do work with, that's really what they know. Well, it's because that's something that you can see happening. It's the visible part of the job. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So what's your otherwise, what's your favorite aspect, your, your, your top, what's your... <laughs> You mentioned logic problems. Uh, yeah, I love um, logic puzzles. So is that more of, uh, how do those come about? Do, is that more of, oh, sorry, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what you go? <laughs> Sometimes there's a classic, there's a classic interview tactic that I hear is not good to do. There's the, the ramble question where it's like you ask the question and then you give options on what the answer could be. Yeah. It's like, just ask the question. Just ask the question. I will have an answer. I don't need multiple choice options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what was the question? What uh, <laughs> is your favorite? No, logic, something logic. about how do I... How does it come up? What, um, do you have an example of... Uh, yeah, I have a really good example of a script that was so well workshopped and so tight. And my brain is always looking for those little inconsistencies of the 
if I'm watching this as an audience member coming to the story for the first time, where am I pausing? So when I do my first read through, I always do it on paper and I kind of just put like a question mark at those moments where I'm like, what's, what's this, what's happening? Um, and one of those was a, a movie involving um, a woman living in her car who has a child and a car seat and an Uber. And I was following through this script and there were all these mentions of these car seats and at one point the car gets towed but the car seat still exists in the next scene. I'm like, how, how, what happened with that car seat? How many car seats do we have in this film? Mm -hmm. Are there multiple parental figures who have their own? And this was such a tiny detail, but I knew that if I was watching this and I saw a car get towed with a car seat in the back and then saw the same car seat in the Uber, that would be really annoying to me. Mm -hmm. um, and it is, such the tiniest finicky logic puzzle um, that just we just needed an answer. Sure. As sure. long as the filmmakers knew, oh, okay, we actually have you know a different car seat cover, so when we see it in other parts, it's you know. By the way, Uber does offer cars with car seats. You can order a car specifically with child seats in the back, mm. which I didn't know before. Mm. So I looked that up, and I was like, this is an option. And again, presenting to the director, like, this is something that might trip somebody up. I know it's not something that is at the top of your head, but is literally the only logic problem in the script, so I'm really focused on it. Um, and then things just like um, passing of time. A lot of times I'll read a script where there's about 46 hours of action in one day, um, and sometimes we... Uh, the directors or writers, um, if if we get to chat early enough in the process, will you know split that into two or three days, um, and sometimes they're like, it's okay, it can just be a really oh, full gotcha, day. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I'm like, okay, let's just take away the three separate sunsets then. There's just going to be one sunset today. Um, yeah. Yeah, those are those I, are like I, two I, real I was, world. I was going to say there, there's. <laughs> Two things that I was thinking of while you were talking. Yeah. Is I sometimes there are productions that have rewrites throughout the shoot. I don't mm -hmm. know if you have experience with that. Uh, my most recent feature had some rewrites, and it was my first time. Before then, we'd really been locked, That's like fair. really locked. So this one, we had f four days with rewrites about an hour before shooting. Mm hmm. Yeah, so I feel like that's where the logic thing comes in extra mm -hmm. handy because things are changing last second. Mm -hmm. Everybody is not up to speed with what's going on. Mm -hmm. And sometimes stuff is thrown in that changes things. And you're like, well, hold up, this causes some issues. Yeah. And because they're focused on maybe that fixing that one scene or some moment in the scene, but they're not thinking about the full picture. We had to rewrite a scene, a super minor rewrite, um, because of ad libs that came up. In, you know, we shot a scene that happens after the moment. We shot it really early. It was like day two or three. And then the moment happens on, you know, day 15 in our shoot schedule. Yeah, the moment before. The moment before happens two weeks later. Um, 
You just and have to give the reminder, by yeah, the way. Yeah, give the, give the reminder. By the way, we, we established that this is what happened. Um, and they did have to redo their blocking and, mm -hmm. you know, That's quickly great. rewrite a line or two. Yeah. Um, so the, those little things. No, I love it. That I, was really, that was a really good moment of like job satisfaction of like, I paid attention. I did it. I communicated <laughs> and we nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> I know, um, no, it always feels good because there was, I'm currently working on a, on a, on a, on a show smaller show but it's a show regardless where um there's many rewrites every day and it's stressful and it's like it's kind of based off casting too there's so many characters in this thing that sometimes oh we don't actually have access to this actor we have to rework this scene we're going to put these other two characters that we have established already swamp them for these other two characters same kind of thing happens. And then I have to be like, wait, hold up, hold up, hold up. Like, what is the cascade so, of this domino situation now? I'm like, we, we shot a similar conversation with these characters before. We have to acknowledge that they had a similar conversation. Like, the change changes things. We got to acknowledge the change versus just play it straight. So mm -hmm. That's really interesting. So it, it, but I'm kind of terrified of shows. Like, I'm really happy in feature land. Features are great. It's like this perfect bite, like this kind of like 15 to 20 day thing that I'm in right now. Mm -hmm. It's it's enough time that I just love like, um, you know, we're doing like five to seven pages on my last two features and the producers and the ADs are so stressed because it's like such a big day at seven pages. I'm like, we're fine. We got it. I've been on productions who like did... 13 to 15 pages a day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it's all just about, Yeah. I mean, then like the quality in the space and like, are you going to get four or five takes to really find those moments? Um, but I, I like how a feature is, it's like the whole cake. Yeah. It's very, and, it's very manageable. Yeah. Is, is that yeah well, it's very that's, that's manageable kinda, that's kind of how i think about it's it. manageable and it ends like the thing yeah, with the show fine, is finite. like it it's not finite so you i'm endlessly impressed at these showrunners who carry these story arcs through you know three to seven years like that is so much story to carry in your heart and to carry in your mind and to carry in your giant binder because mm -hmm. there's always a binder mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, I was gonna. I don't know. I, I I felt like I guess I'll just say it. My I was gonna. I really enjoy. I don't know. I'm sure you do this as well. I feel like it's a script supervisor task, where I don't like to be one that adds stress to the environment. With like, by the way, there's these issues here, and it starts freaking everybody out. That wait, the, what do we miss? What are we not doing right? Mm -hmm. Like I prefer. Like I I enjoy the opportunities where people are already stressed. And then I could come in and be like, this is not an issue. Yeah. Do not worry about this. Because sometimes people will logic something that isn't really an issue or they'll kind of pseudo think they're doing. People can jump. Everybody can jump into continuity is kind of the other thing too. Every yeah. department has their thing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people can freak out about mm -hmm. missing something or adding something. And then I can or we can come in. And ideally, the answer is, 
I have the solution. Yes. Or, or this is actually not an issue. Relax. Yeah. We're good here. <laughs> I enjoy bringing those moments. I don't know if that's a... No, being, being, um, being the solution to the problem that hasn't quite happened yet. Like, it's always nice. that's definitely a big part of this job, that there's a question like, oh, the belly chain broke and we don't have a replacement. Okay, can we frame up two inches? I'm like, why did nobody nobody else thought about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's something that simple, or it's just like, okay, I'll. I like how you always do this. Look around. You're like, <laughs> it's a little, it's a little slap in the face. Everybody, it's like, y'all, <laughs> little, little. There's, I mean, there's a, <laughs> I wonder if you do it in the moment to, to I, just rub it in. I might, I might do it. Do Sorry, it. guys, if sassy. I do. Um, I'm definitely sassy. I, I was on a there. short, and the director, um, also a short without an AD, so... Uh, That's fun. Yeah, I kind of, every once in a while, toe over the line, and pseudo AD for, just to keep the set running, to keep it moving forward, like, oh, what are we waiting for? Wait, camera, you're good, director, you're good, actors, you're good, looks are done? Okay, let's roll, guys. Come on! Like we're just waiting for someone to say go at that point. Yeah, um, I I can say that I've I have added some stress to situations either by not mentioning a continuity error early or assuming that an error that was brought to me was also communicated to the director. Um, I my big weakness in continuity is jewelry. I don't wear jewelry. I kind of have a blind spot for it, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it's like I feel, I feel those frustrating. Ugh, it's going to be so annoying. There's there's a couple times where a piece of jewelry disappears and comes back, and we just have to live yeah, with it. Yeah, yeah. And I feel really bad because it also, um, you know, in some situations, our customer wasn't available to be on set because they were spread and prepping other people and in those situations it really comes to me to make sure that we're all set um but I'm usually looking for differences so if it's like the first shot of the day and they're sent to set looking like this and it kind of matches what I'm expecting then I'm good and we go forward I'm not going to notice that it's you know, an earring that should have been removed was in. Mm -hmm. it's, no, I, I totally, it's just I totally really hard, and I, I feel really bad when I drop the ball like that because it's it is those small details that can personally take me completely out of a film. Mm. I'm like, that's that's weird. This is a movie. This isn't real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay, yeah. okay. I was gonna ask. I don't know. I kind of lost the train there a little bit, but uh, you had mentioned earlier that you've had the opportunity to get like some golden nugget advice from script supervisors along the mm -hmm. way, along your journey through through all these features this year and such, and being really involved in the in the Facebook space and whatnot, yeah. and probably elsewhere. Um, do you have what what were 
some key things you're learning along the way you can kind of shout out to maybe other people that are that are jumping in new yeah or starting out or just yeah boy i should have thought about this Mm -hmm. um because you mentioned the color coding thing color coding man that that made me so so what do you okay maybe as you're thinking about that (laughs) how do you what's what software do you use uh i use peter scarrett now so okay uh, which is really fun because I know Peter's big sister through henna body art through henna like oh, wow. I know I know Julie and she's an incredible photographer um, and scared is not a common last name so you know when I emailed Peter to get the trial which is generous 180 days it means that you can really work with the software and learn it before you commit to buying it um, which when you know you're working on, student shorts for $150 a day, which mm-hmm. you shouldn't do, but it's a student rate, so that's okay. Um, it really helps to have some software that you can rely upon that isn't five, yeah. three or $500 yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I do, yeah, I, I do kind of my first everything on paper, and then I'll use um, Peter's templates to kind of autofill the breakdown um there we go (laughs) uh and then i go through and i add all of my notes and make all of my adjustments um and because you can do a lot of different formatting on those forms um i think i did mention that i have adhd and something that really helps me is color coding Mm. everything Mm. um being able to look at a page of overwhelming information and have a shorthand or a second way to communicate that information that isn't just reading every word. Um, I skim a lot. Um, so being able to customize those templates and into a way that works really good for me is really great. Um, I haven't used other software. I've also used like my own Google Sheets, yeah, yeah. which I really like if I'm in, because um, I don't have an iPad. Um, I think if I did, I wouldn't use it. But if we're like flying and I need to just run, I don't want to grab my laptop. I can fill in all my notes on my phone on Google Sheets, which is fun, right? Sure. sure. (laughs) Like give me like like sides and a phone and a pencil. (laughs) I mean, it's essentially, yeah, same same as tablet. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Um, Yeah, because I I think you had reached out at one point asking about Scripty. I did, yeah. And you were considering jumping to iPad Scripty. I wasn't... My laptop died the day before starting a feature. Yeah, and you're like, oh my gosh! I, but then you decided not to jump because yeah. it was so last second, and yeah. I forgot how I was going to help you out with that. But I don't know. I don't you know. were going to give me a brand new iPad. Clearly, you were I like, you know like, what, I Carissa? Like, I was like, I'm not working. Just use my. I don't. Yeah. I don't remember. But <laughs> that might have. It might have been. There was also a short that I did. Um, oh, or I thought of maybe experimenting with different software just to try it out. But I'm, I'm so happy with Scarrett. Like, oh, that's great. I love... I've heard good things. Yeah, finding something that just works. Love it. Mm-hmm. Um, other really good advice, um, which I, I think maybe was kind of a combo of editorial advice I got from Publishing World and then just general advice talk, talking with other experienced script soups is... Like you never tell a DP or a director what to do, um, but you can ask a lot of questions. 
so one thing that I do, especially when I'm work with a, working with a director on who's on camera, um, and if it comes to performance, then I will phrase it as a question and be like, so my experience of the scene, you seemed really, um, you, you seemed really, really engaged in the conversation. When I read the script, I expected it to be, you know, more blasé attitude. What are you looking for? And most of the, the t most of the time they're like, oh yeah, no, that's really wrong. This should be such and such and such. And then they're able to make the adjustment based on the information that I present or um, making recommendations. So very rarely will I say, I need another for continuity, mm -hmm. um, unless it's you know something big, um, which happened on a shoot in Hawaii. And I was literally locked out of a room because it was just a really small hotel room and we needed the door closed for sound and then my walkie battery broke and the people at village wouldn't walkie for me and I don't know why maybe I wasn't like communicating clearly that there was something we needed to stop the scene now mm -hmm. um it every, it was the, like the last take of this big five page scene um and the character had put his wine glass down so he was sitting and the wine glass was resting on his knee and every other take, I think it was maybe also in his other hand, every other shot he had the wine glass up mm -hmm. in his right hand. And like that last one that was, they were gonna nail it, it was the martini. Um, and I'm like, that one won't cut, it's gonna be weird. Mm -hmm. So we ran it one more time, but um, I that was like, we need to go again. That was really the only time that I've said we need. Otherwise, sure, I sure. say I highly recommend. Yeah, it's like I suggest. Yeah, I suggest. I recommend. If, my recommendation if you, is. If you do like that take, uh, yeah. we it won't necessarily cut. Yep. So um, deal with that information, which you will. Yeah, and that's been a learning process, especially as I get onto bigger sets with more people doing fewer jobs instead of like me doing four jobs. Sure, sure. Um, being able to rely on you know, everyone to get the job done and then I'm able to really think about how these pieces will edit together. Um, and living with somebody who's who's edited films and I've been able to watch the edit process of sets that I've been on, um, which I think is something a lot of script supervisors don't have the opportunity to do, is to actually see that post process and see the kinds of things that really don't matter so much, and then the kinds of um, matching action and continuity and um, angles, mm -hmm. something that, you know, we, we know we need to match like the eye lines in a conversation, but you also have to match frame. Or like the sizing of the, the sizing of the frame, or I mean, if yeah, it's, yeah, for sure. if, the if it's, if it's a it. choice, mm -hmm then it's double checking like that. Sometimes they're like, hey, is this supposed to match frame for the reverse? Yeah, yeah. No? Okay, great. No, or yes, sure. I'm like, okay, uh, here's here's a shot. Or like, just so you know, that previous one was like just brushing the top of shoulders. Because sometimes you do want, um, you do want there to be an, an imbalance and sometimes you don't. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you're moving through 13 pages on a 12 hour yeah, day and yeah. you just, gotta choose you just gotta shoot yes yes so there was one other piece of advice for 
newer people. Well, I was gonna, I was I gonna touch on the editing thing. So yeah. you've had the opportunity to sit in an editing bay, quote unquote, yeah. and watch watch that process. Have you had the chance to feel it out yourself, or is that I guess just seeing it in general has been helpful enough? Because um, to like put my hands. Well, because like you're saying, it. you're saying being. Just seeing the edit process has helped give context to what yeah. you're looking for on the day. Mm -hmm. I do know, because I've edited plenty of my own projects and stuff. So mm -hmm. I know getting getting your hands in and actually cutting it, not like it's little. It's different, cutting, yeah. Because yeah, it does add a lot of context on what action, what matching action does matter, what where you, where you are flexible to the actors can play but mm -hmm. you do need this one point to kind of match for the for the cut yeah so it's all very tricky but i was curious on if you know in my in my office job hey guys that was fun uh, <laughs> people like to drive out here really fast and very loud with loud things in their trucks um when i was in my office job that wasn't a great fit one thing I got to do was like a promotional video for an event that we were running. And I had, I had taken, you know, a bit of video on my phone. This is like the most slapdash kind of way to do it. Um, and I had, you know, the professional stills and then my kind of weird phone videos sure. and needed to deliver, you know, last minute notice our, in-office videographer was on vacation and we needed to, you know, have some kind of sizzle reel to deliver to one of our major sponsors the next day at noon. So I was like, ah, um, and I looked up like the best, quickest way to do it. And in 24 hours, I had like a two minute thing or 60 second thing for them. Um, and again, getting help from, um, my friends as I like very proudly show my first cut and She's like, have you considered? I'm like, no, I haven't. That's a great idea. Mm -hmm. Let me redo all of this work. Um, things like you can have audio coming in before you see the person. A little, little, little pre-lap action. A little pre-lap, yep. Uh, now I know what that word means. Um, if you're editing to music or you know that there will be music, um, play with the rhythm of the cuts like mm -hmm. all, there's all these little things that is such an art um and it is so incredibly tedious and knowing that there is one really good moment on you know the fourth reset of take three at you know like three minutes into the take and then actually finding that moment again mm -hmm. Like, that's really good. So note, like, some of the stuff that I did for that little edit, like, I knew that there was one phrase that I wanted um, from, like, this little interview that I grabbed in passing, and I couldn't find it, and it was actually in, like, a different clip. Mm. But, like, I knew that it was in this clip. You didn't have the script supervisor notes to... I, I didn't know. To help you find I didn't the, know. where the circle take was. In yeah. There. And, you know, working with digital media there is a lot of like reset 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 go 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 and i know editors really love knowing 
where the good take actually is. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. I don't like the continual rules. I don't. I think it's hard. It's e it's easy for some people, and I think it's a lot harder for others. In terms of the edit room, um, I feel like no. It hurts in the in terms of like on set stuff, like I know if we if you just continually roll, it's kind of saves time because as soon as you hit cut, right, saves time. Air quotes. It does yeah. not save time. If I don't you buy it. if I don't you yell cut there's kind of that like flurry of activity and maybe you lo lose 30 to 60 seconds, but that flurry of activity is usually people solving problems. Yeah. Like I, let people do their job, let people solve those problems. I'm a big um, one step at a time kind of guy mm -hmm. to where the whole idea, the whole pitch on continue, continual rolling is we're saving time and I'm giving notes and we don't have to reslate, and we whatever. Like I don't know. There's the only thing that saves time is we don't have to reslate. But how much time is that really? Because I I much prefer to get your take, say cut, unless it's like a very small section where you're just getting a reaction. You can do multiple yeah. passes on it very easily. If it's an actual like three page dialogue scene, cut. just say just say cut. Focus on giving notes in a nice, calm manner versus like trying to rush it to save time. Like yeah. that, that's what happens a lot. Is like you're just the directors in this flurry state and just mm -hmm. throwing stuff out and trying to be efficient with time. And it, Give you also notes. like we'll the reason it. why we we just we just still roll is because with digital media we have the freedom to do so. You would never do that with film. You Correct. you yeah. would absolutely cut because film is precious, and I think we should kind of remember that digital media is still precious because this is still you still need the, the it's hard still drive. a you resource still it's still the time it's still all of these things and just because it isn't you, you don't have a finite amount of it to work with but on you, the you, day you do though especially if you're shooting like like 6k or 8k yeah. or something yeah. you just roll on that you're doing 60 frames per second on on 4k like that and eats. now you have 30 seconds of notes in the very middle yeah and you're just eating and to spend thousands of dollars on more more hard drives it's a whole it's a whole it's thing. A thing cut give <laughs> <laughs> your notes they'll slate efficiently yeah we'll we'll yeah. make sure the slate's correct and uh i try <laughs> sometimes the slates are not correct sometimes they're not this is this is my big pet peeve is um staff your productions have a second have like okay okay yeah i've i mean i know part of it is because i'm on such fun scrappy passion projects sure, indie sure. films but if you if you don't have a first ad and you don't have you know at least a three-person camera team um you're just making it so much harder on everybody and harder on yourself. And you're not going to get, it's like a, the bang for your buck thing. You, um, staff your production. Yes. That's a good, that's a good start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Staff them, pay them. Staff them, pay them. And if. Give them rest, give it, them food. Yeah. <laughs> right. If it's not, if you're not in an ability, if you're not at a place to fully staff a production, change the script like shoot something that you can do attainably um, because you know this script that you love is going to be better when you can give it its full 
potential. And it doesn't have to be, it's not like a perfectionist. You don't have to wait until the perfect right moment. But if you're only at 60% of what you want it to be, wait. I mean, that's classic filmmaking 101 is uh, you have something out of reach that you are trying to do with resources that should not be able to attain that. And mm -hmm. you're just like, I mean, that's, you know, we're, we're, we're cramming in more pages on the day than we should. We're, yeah. it's like all of the above. It's we're, we're working with a smaller crew than we should, doing more pages than we should. <laughs> so it's a, and it, I mean, and it always comes it, back to money. And that's how you make Unfortunately. magic. That's how you make magic. It is how you make magic. It's that pressure cooker mentality. No, and... it was a joke. No, but it <laughs> is. It is how you make magic. But there is a point where the magic stops. And you have, yes, well, <laughs> you have to know, yeah, you have too. to know that point where a little bit of pressure is going to like polish things. You can't be complacent. You can't be happy in mediocrity. Um, but certainly there are, people are being asked to do way too much. Well, it comes down way, way, to, way again, much. like pre-production as well. Like a yeah. lot of a lot of problems get solved in pre, if not every yeah. problem gets bring, solved in pre. Bring your script supervisor in more than two days before your production. If you can, if you have a shooting script and you have a script soup you think might be coming on, like give them a read through week one of pre-production. There will be problems we can solve before we mm -hmm. get on set. So you are jumping into a production meeting after this. I am. <laughs> <laughs> How is this? Um, have you been a part of production meetings before? I love being parts of production meetings. Just one. Um, I like meeting with the directors after I've read a script, and I like being part of one production meeting. Um, and I kind of get a feeling from that meeting, you know, how everything is going to go, who my key players are going to be, um, you know, art, wardrobe, makeup. I love, I love being besties with sound. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just kind of knowing where the, where the, oh, I was going to call them hiccups, where the, where the, the tougher scenes are, where the, mm -hmm. you can kind of know where your attention should go. And yeah. where maybe your energy can you can yeah. kind of save energy because stuff seems very handled on certain sections. You're like, okay, mm -hmm. cool, noted. Yeah, I mean, yeah. on my most recent shoot, um, my breakdown, because there were some uh, later staffing changes, mm -hmm. which just due to availability and, and stuff, um, my day-by-day -day breakdown didn't get forwarded to our wardrobe department. And there was a scene changed in the script, which necess necessitated an entire new set of clothes for five characters. Mm. So she'd been working on this, you know, buying and everything, and everything was locked in fittings, and she was an outfit short for our first five characters. I've seen that. I've seen that. We've happen. seen it. And it's, um, I didn't have a production meeting to review. Kind of, I knew that this was a concern, so I sought her out, you know, on day two, and be like, "Can we just double check what day is your scene 10? And I'm like, "Okay, that's not my day." Double check with the directors, and yep, she had to go shopping. Um, it happens. It happens, and it's just about as many problems I can solve before getting on set. Um, 
making sure that, gosh, especially for timelines, um, when art is made like for phone inserts and it's a, an mm -hmm. image mm -hmm. and it, and there's now a, a time, like a time of day on the phone, either I need to know that or they need to know what time of day I think it is yeah. because it's all these cascading things and you could end up with a text coming in, you know, two hours after the previous one because of just those little sure, things. Sure, sure, sure. And they sometimes this all seems so... Like, why are we worrying about such a small detail? This is my second f least favorite phrase after uh, we'll fix it in post is if if they notice that, we're not doing our job. I'm like, nope, we're not doing our job because there is something for them to notice. <sighs> you don't and like that phrase. I don't like that phrase because I think it encourages laziness. Like, it's okay for the edge of the light mat to be in frame. Sure. It's okay for uh, for that mug to change color just because we can't take five minutes to wash one more. Yeah. And and while I do agree that it is accurate, if these small details are taking people completely out of the story, then we're not doing our job as storytellers. But we work in a visual medium, so let's work in the visual medium. No, it's great. I love the. I think it's very important to have the, uh, it's, it's called um, Keeping Us Honest is yeah. a classic job of the script supervisor. Mm. I feel like it's like, no, we're going to, we're going to sleep. We're going to, we, we have to slate this. Like, yes, we have to slate this. <laughs> like that's, uh, that, we had a whole. That's a fight. It's a very uh, common fight. On, we had a whole card of scene that just wasn't slated. A whole card. A whole card. A whole just like the was it like they'd go for tails and they just always um, miss it or no? It was it was actually a discussion because it was it was a close set. It was like a it was a very intimate scene and and we all decided um, that it wasn't a priority that it that. wasn't a priority that it would add an additional person add it was a very tight space like there were problems that it would possibly bring up. Um, and really bring the actors out of their comfort zone uh, while we knew we had time code and and you can use a clip number or whatever. A, yeah I kept really really good clip numbers and um, it, I was very sad to not have slates on it yeah. but it's okay it was okay and for the reasons it was it was a net gain um, and we didn't actually have as many takes as I thought we would. But then it went into some car stuff that I wasn't there for. Sure, sure. I guess I guess maybe um, do you want to explain to our audience what what why it's important to slate? Is do you want I mean there's so many reasons. Yeah, it's here. Um, one is pop quiz. One is right? It's like does she know? Will anyone hire me after this interview? Um <laughs> One of the reasons is purely for organ organizational purposes, so we know which scene is which take, and uh, so my notes that says this is the good take, uh, we know which one that was. Um, and then the other purpose, and this is like the clapper, uh, is to sync sound with uh, picture. So when you, when you clap 
the slate, it gives one frame with one sound. Um, and when you used to do this manually, um, you would actually pair those like by physically moving actual tape and actual videotape um, to link up and sync them. Yeah, you sync them the closing of the slate mm -hmm. with the peak of the sound so, and bloop right yeah. there. Now we're, I think it's a nice, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, I feel like it's almost more of a backup these days on that, on that actual it thing. It is if you have, if you have time code and there's also new software that will, if you take waveforms, like if you record camera sound, um, the software will match the waveforms from the audio file yeah, to yeah. the, the scratch audio on the camera and that will match super super well and then i'm sure uh post-production uses that data as well they, the assistant editor will go through and sort everything or the dit or i don't know who even, i don't even know that sign <laughs> dit does some of it and the ae does some of it and yeah but the slate kind of kind of carried through the rest of the show so as long as we're organized on that mm -hmm. everybody's on the same page with what that is and our notes reflect yeah. exactly what we shot and like you're saying so yeah i mean and that's why that's why script supervisors say what's on the slate which yeah because i know <laughs> i'm always a fan of when a sound person or when a, they let or a camera person <laughs> will will try to explain to me that like we missed we we missed the tails on that or but it's okay yeah. we're we're seeing them like that's I think mean, there's more to it than there's that. There's more <laughs> to it, yeah. The slate is yeah. what makes sure we all know what's so happening. So those are my pet peeves. Is let's yeah. slate the slate the shot. For some reason in the indie world, it's kind of difficult to kind of hammer that in. And I then, think it's because a, a lot of indie productions don't have a second AC. I don't no, know. I, even with a second AC, I'll tell the second ACs, like, make sure to get this. Like, we've missed a bunch of slates. Can we just... Let's just get one today. Can we just get a slate in. I know, like they're always waiting on the side, or they're like they're they're trying to get in there, but like the DP doesn't care, or yeah, or the director, like they DPs always want to slate tails. Yes. Like like they're, they're, for any ECU, I'm like like I know you're set. Do not stop rolling, <laughs> and I'm always yelling tails, and it's fifty fifty whether you get it. Yeah, or it's. Um, the performance, the actors are in the zone yeah. and you don't want to interrupt that. So call mm -hmm. tails and I'm like, guys, they're professionals. Just slate, get the head right? slate, get out of there. They will action. stay, they will stay in the zone with the slate. So um, they really will. There's a lot of other <laughs> things that, yeah, they're professional actors and they are good at their jobs. Let us be good at ours. Trust them to do their job. <laughs> Let us do our job. Yeah. If a slate is taking away from performance, you have bigger problems on set because the slate's going to be the, uh, that's going to be like the straw that <laughs> breaks the camel's That's back. your counter to if people are paying attention to this, we're, uh, we're not doing our job. Yeah. It's like, that's if we're not slating this, we're not doing our job. We're not job. doing our job. Yeah. We're not. I love it. I, I also saw the most amazing Me? slate oh. for, <laughs> the most amazing slate for like a insert. It was like a, ECU something or other. I don't even remember what was on screen because the slate was so adorable. It was about mm, mm -hmm. this big. Yeah, and it, and it had like a little clothespin and you just hold the slate and pinch the clothespin open and then let go. 
It was so cute. I've never seen that. It was amazing. And it was, Very it wasn't cute. just like a tab or like an MOS. It like, click. Yeah. Really cute. I also always have a, you know, dry erase marker on me. Oh, nice. Just because. For backup? For backup. And sometimes, you know, the, the second AC or if there isn't one. Oh, like I can over. just actually write this late and be like, it's ready. Oh, All right, right. I try not to do that. Well, sometimes I'll get sassy and I'll grab it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm fine to slate if we but need no, it. No, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily recommend doing that. No, but again, these are productions that I'm on, like without an AD, without an art department. These yeah. Are, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, That's very fun. scrappy passion projects, and as I'm going to more and more. Um, you know, finessed, As you well-staffed, sure. well-financed, um, I have to do fewer people's jobs, which is wonderful because Great. I'm getting better at doing your job, doing my job, which I really like. I don't really want to... You don't really want to... Do everything To else. roll camera and roll stand on the I mean, I, I am ready to focus pull. If oh, you're wow. looking for an AC, I am ready. I've, I've done it once, and I nailed it. You've done it. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I've never done it. I mean, it was one shot. I had to go from like the mountain to the tree as it tilted up. Dang. It was really hard. That's a move. Nailed it on the first take. We tried three more. Cool. Yeah. So I do want to wind us down. No. Um, I want to jump to... Uh, okay. Three final questions. Okay. Maybe four. We'll make yeah. this quick. Is there any other scripts you provide your stuff? I, I feel like there was maybe one piece of, of good advice that we didn't get to because I went back. Yeah. But I don't know if there's anything there or if even I have anything to add to that. Um, or maybe your lesson learned on... Um, okay, let's, let's, let's close out with script supervising. Okay. The thought is you, like you said... You're, you've had a killer year. It's very yeah. exciting. It's very cool. Yeah. What is the, uh, what is, what are you looking forward to most in terms of, um, what, it, what's the most exciting part of continuing as a script supervisor for you? Mm-hmm. And do you, how, how far, far out have you thought with, with this path in terms of oh. five years out? Yeah, I am definitely looking to join the union um, probably three years in, Um, just, you know, to get my legs under me, but I do know that I want to be a union script supervisor. I imagine you'll do it sooner than that. Maybe. Well, (laughs) Well, it's really expensive. Um, That's stressful. But you make it all back in one project. Hopefully. Um, So I am you know, continuing to learn with the intention of being very union involved. And um, I do have a union mentor, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Seaford. You're amazing. She texts me like on a regular basis and asks me like career and life developmental things. It is so incredible. Um, So I guess that would be my other piece of advice is find someone that you connect with who's in a position to be an active mentor um, because I thought that I would just have some like phone conversations and that would be it. Yeah, like, but yeah. for, you know, six months, she's, 
been on the other end of my phone when I, you know, have breakdowns because I'm under, you know, underslept and overworked and the wine glass is in the wrong hand um, and no one's listening to me and, you know, just helping me work through kind of the mental fortitude part of this job where you are responsible for a lot of small details and sometimes you're told they don't matter. And that is something that's hard for me to get through because I do care about it so much. But I also know that sometimes it doesn't matter or for whatever reasons it matters, but we can't do it again. We have mm-hmm. to move on. There's more film to make. Yeah, priorities. Priorities. And, um, oh God, what was that question that I was answering? Yeah, what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, so it's it's going forward with union stuff, um, learning. I am really excited to one day shadow a experienced script supervisor on a set. Um, I don't know when that will happen, but I would love to really see firsthand how somebody else works um, because I've only ever been on a set yeah. where I'm the only script supervisor. I've only seen one script supervisor work. Yeah. No, I've seen two. I yeah. lied. I bet you learned stuff. I don't know. I, you did. You must have because I'm it's sure. impossible to watch somebody else do a job and either you're like, wow, that won't work for me at all. Or you're like, oh, that that's what I'm supposed to crap. Well, mine was more, <laughs> the first script supervisor I ever met, I, it was before I even knew it was a job. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was a personal assistant to the director on this like $7 million feature. And there's just this woman here on, on her iPad scripty. And I was like, what is it? Like, she's just kind of doing her... Right. Swipe, 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 jump, push, push. The secret I'm, mysteries I'm just of a like, script I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> um, it is managing so much information. Like, that's really the job. It is four jobs constantly at once. Yeah, and then I guess my takeaway from watching her, even like looking back on that experience mm-hmm. too, is like she rarely got up yeah. to go give any notes on set. Like, it was whenever she did... It was like a big moment. Right? Directors are like afraid when they see me walking forward. I'm like, oh, no, no, it's not bad. It's just like, this is the one, right? This is your print take because I think we're moving on, but you didn't tell me what we're doing. Sure, sure. (laughs) But yeah, usually if if I'm getting up, there's a reason. Yeah, which is fun. Yeah. And then the other one, I was an assistant director on a, on a, like a YouTube kind of show. Where I was, me and this other script supervisor would kind of flip-flop on the gigs for, mm-hmm. for, for the recurring, you know, every month they're shooting stuff. So it's yeah. like, all right, I did this month, she did this month. And then one time I AD'd, and so I got to watch her script yeah. supervise. And I'm like, huh. So you, you get to watch and see, like, I probably would have gotten up and gave a note on that, but she's just chilling. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, oh, okay, I see how her notes are different than, like, it's just... It yeah, I'm, I've learned a lot from taking over productions, like filling in a day um, or two, and I'm reading these notes. I'm like, I am. I, I knew an editor told me he doesn't need anything that he can see from the take. So that kind of pared my notes down a little bit. And then looking at this other script supervisor's notes, I'm like, I actually need to bring it up a little bit more, a little bit more about like, what is the shot actually? It's not just like close up on Ashley. It's close-up Ashley, enter eyelines. Sure, sure. A little, just a little bit more. Because if we... And you're talking about the shot description. Shot description, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, 
I keep mine pretty basic. I mean, um, I think mine were like too basic because <laughs> it yeah, would really so, just be like, see you, Ashley. And then if we've had to go back to revisit and they wanted to do the same shot again, then it was my nose that we were relying on to make sure that, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. I'm excited that I have a career and to keep learning and... Um, keep connecting and I I want to do a lot more location specific jobs I love the fact that this career can allow me to you know have a home base and work here in LA a lot mm. uh, which is near my family um, but I'm also an avid traveler and I would love to work international I would love to oh, do funny. It's like you get the more. chance to travel while, I mean, tour while you're on... I make the time. Okay, I make right, the time. Cool. I just spent a month in the Bay Area. I, I got to go wine tasting. I got to spend time with really old friends, which was amazing. Very cool. Um, you know, I got to shoot in Hawaii. I got to shoot in Colorado. I am hoping one day soon to shoot on a boat. I really want to shoot a boat, a boat movie. Yes. I get seasick. I'm an avid sailor, so... If you're shooting a pirate movie, I'm your girl. I can help with accuracy. That's gotta be of... difficult. I'm... Yeah. Yeah. But very... I mean, I wouldn't bring my laptop. I'd I'd have a different system for that. Sure, sure. You'll figure <laughs> it out. Waterproof paper. You'll figure it out. Okay. Um, no, yeah. I think I think even just because I know we've chatted on the phone, but we've really only texted since you kind of got rolling. Yeah. So. Um, I think it is cool seeing you now, and I, I get I, I can feel the script supervisor energy for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's like all right, no, it's I I can see you as a script soup and why you're consistently getting work and, and getting picked up. I'm like, there's a lot of competence there. It's very very nice. Yay! Yes. Thank you. That means a lot. Anytime I get a compliment, it uh, because there can be so much doubt. Mm -hmm. um, it's really great to hear from producers or fellow script supervisors that I'm on the right path. No, it seems uh, I'd be cool to see you in action. I'm sure you, it sounds like you, yeah, you, you, you got it down. I'm not, I'm not worried. <laughs> I'm not worried about it from my perspective. Quick question. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, you, you mentioned this, you sent this to me as a potential topic. Mm -hmm. I wasn't quite sure. I'll just read it off. Okay. Visual literacy outside of the vocabulary of film. Yeah. When working within film medium, yeah. What, what does this mean? Um, things like, <clears throat> like knowing that we have you know several thousand years of art history, you know fifty thousand years of art art history, coming into this visual medium, um, and something really important for script supervisors is to know like the jargon of technical filmmaking. I think it's also really important for us to know. Um, the potential kinds of visual references that a frame can evoke. So mm -hmm. understanding like in Troy, let's throw back to that, sure. to that film. The Brad Pitt. The Brad Pitt. Uh, yeah. Those fight sequences are framed specifically as um, these ancient urn, uh, potter pots, oh, okay, pots okay. that had, you know, this, the red and black Greek pottery those moves with like these leaps and like that kind of like like instead of a very free-flowing movement like it is a big leap with a knee up and a leg extended and a spear here not because it looks really cool 
or like that stylistic choice was because of its art historical context. Mm -hmm. Um, If you see a movie where there's, you know, a mother crying over her dead son and she's sitting and he's draped across her lap and it's kind of this thing that's evoking a pieta and having that, you know, it's, it's kind of knowing what these references can do in a greater cultural context because we get so much visual information all day every day and whether or not we've studied art history or go to museums or look at visual literacy in the same way that we look as word literacy um, there's a set of cultural meanings that we absorb and the the inferences that we make from them are it's like subtext. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so coming into a film and understanding the kind of subtext that we're using in not just with the kinds of shots that we're doing, because uh, I think a lot of filmmakers will recreate the kinds of shots, like whether it's a Gatsby moment or a Tarantino moment or a, you know, let's do this similar move that we saw Nolan do in something. Um, beyond that, there's references that impart meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think everyone should have that. And I also think it's important as a script supervisor um, because we also you know, track the intent of the film. And if there is some kind of coded visual cue happening, mm-hmm. we should know. Make sure that that moment gets in the edit because there's going to be 20 different options, but this frame gotcha, gotcha. is important. Yeah, a lot of subconscious going on there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I wish I thought about that stuff more often. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. And I think it helps that I have a kind of brain that is interested in everything. So I did, you know, I grew up painting and being involved in visual arts. And mm-hmm. I love going to museums. And I took, you know, a year and a half of art history in college. And, um, mostly Western art history. Um, world art is still a mystery to me, but as we expand our, you know, our global creation, it's also really important to be aware of the the messages that different global cultures have in their art, because you can use cultural art incorrectly, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. suddenly the thing that you think looks really cool is completely misplaced in your story. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> it almost sounds like directing advice to me. Maybe, but <laughs> as as an advocate for your director and as a fact checker. No, and for as, sure. It's like, back up, by the way, what we're displaying here is actually this. Yeah. Or did you notice that this is happening? This is kind of cool. It's like, oh, I didn't know. Yeah. Let's, let's lean into that, whatever the case is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this piece of art is... St. Sebastian, again, with my, like, Western religious iconography, like, do you really need St. Sebastian in a romantic scene? Because it's, like, very much a martyr. He's, like, stabbed by 12 arrows. Mm-hmm. Maybe we swap it for gotcha, gotcha. something else. Yeah, no, it's the more you know. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, just coming from an English background, I, I hmm. – read for context and I read for, you know, those messages and analysis 
And you can watch a film the same way. And no matter how deep you dive into it, um, people bring people bring meaning to what they experience and the creators bring meaning to what they create and like doing that intentionally is I think really important. That's important for sure. Yeah. Well, with that being said, I'll jump <laughs> to the final question. <laughs> Why does everybody overcook pork chops? Why? Oh, it's so annoying. <laughs> it is really annoying. I have so many friends who don't like pork and I love pork and I worked, you know, in my other life as a publishing intern in London, I worked on a pork cookbook all about like heritage breeds and how pork was this really central um, agricultural product in Britain and people are like pork the other white meat and they throw their chops on the grill and cook them for like 40 minutes and they're dry and tough and terrible. You can cook like, you can cook a good piece of pork like medium, medium well and it is beautiful. Okay. And if you're going beyond that, leave it for six hours. Like do the slow roast. You can do, um, I'm allergic to beef. So I avoid cooking beef a lot. Um, like, you can do like beef bourguignon, but with pork, and that is really delicious. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I just, I, it makes me so sad, and I think that there needs to be a respect for our food, and you know, sure. buy, if, if you do eat meat, there's, you know, buy the slightly more expensive version that has, has more humane conditions for the meat. It will taste better, it's better for the environment, and then don't overcook it thank you <laughs> <laughs> so this how, how did this come because you, like you said you, you're allergic to beef mm -hmm. so you've traditionally i'm sure eaten more pork lots of chicken and lots of pork my mom likes pork yeah, yeah. so so then does the, does the issue become when you go out to eat and you order a pork chop and then you get it back and it's overcooked or not so like, much going out because like your friend like who's like, who are the people that are <laughs> who are all these terrible pork yeah. over well a really close friend of mine <laughs> he doesn't like pork at all sure. and i don't eat beef and we're close and we'll go out to korean barbecue and I just kind of sit there while a lot of beef is being cooked. And then there's like my one pork dish, which is fine and great. And he actually likes that pork too, but it's like the only pork he'll, he'll eat. Um, or if I'm planning a dinner party, like I would totally just do pork, like slow roasted pork chops for everybody. And then I'm like, ugh, except half of the people that are coming. They want the dry well, pork? They, well, no, they just, they don't like pork. And I think this is where it comes in. Like people who don't like Brussels sprouts don't like Brussels sprouts because we grew up boiling them into mush. Like just roast them for 12 minutes and they're perfect. Um, and I think generationally pork has been overcooked. And now, you know, our parents always cooked pork well done and it gets dry and not delicious. Mm -hmm. And... It was out of like some fear of like pork was unsafe to Some, cook it slightly. Similar to like a like a chicken, right? Like yeah. that's the that's why we cook our chicken thoroughly because yeah. if it's got the red, no bueno. It's no bueno. It's also like I do sometimes undercook my chicken and I regret it because it's not tasty. It has a weird texture. Yeah, yeah. But like a, like a medium pork chop is 
safe to eat. Okay. It is. It's a, it is better. It is better. It is delicious because there is like this. Yeah, it's so flavorful, and I. It's just such a shame. Sure, because I know I definitely grew up on the dry pork chop. Yeah, they're terrible. And I still liked it. Like oh, I mean, it's, okay. it's kind of like when you grow up on it, you don't know that it could be better. You're just like, yeah. oh, like this is just what we eat as a family. This is great. Put yeah. some ranch on there. Right? <laughs> this is so good. No, a really, really good piece of, oh. of pork meat should be treated more like a steak than like chicken. Okay. Yeah. Well I, noted. I'll invite you over for a barbecue, a, um, a petite barbecue one day. I'd love to try the pork chop. Yeah. The current, yes. They're good. Yeah. All right, last, 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 last question. Last. Where can people? All right, I guess thanks for thanks for being a part. Thanks for having me. Yes, appreciate you hosting in this lovely space. And um, where can people keep up uh, with with you and your and your journeys? And if if I don't know how you are about social media, I know you've got your Instagram. Yeah. My my very un my very unprofessional Instagram is Beach Books and Booze. It is lifestyle stuff, but also you know some work stuff, especially more when I'm on set. There's usually stuff there, so that's where I am on Instagram. Um, Twitter stuff is all just yelling into the abyss or publishing news. That's not interesting. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, Instagram is really where you can it's, find it's me. Great. Yeah, there will be. Food and soccer and script supervising and painting and a nice butterflies and a nice uh, ADHD feed. Yep, a very nice ADHD feed. You'll Lovely. see all my all my passions on I display. I dig it. I dig it. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thanks for thanks for listening. Subscribe, like, share if you enjoyed the show, and bye. Bye. Thank you. Oh, 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 oh.